the joy of building something um, and and sleeping in it and being remote where you just like stop what you're doing and just listen to what's around you just being out there remote and it's it's very it's calming it's meditative um you you get away to from from everything you're you're really just out in nature at the in the elements um and that's that's the piece that i find uh with going out into situations like that whether it be winter camping and you're out there in the snow and you know you're just the the, the, the you know the smell on a nice you know, a cold snowy day where it's just, it's crisp, it's, it's clean. Um, it feels good. Or even, you know, when you're doing it backpacking during the, the spring or summer, um, it, it just, just being remote and, and not hearing traffic or, or anyone else around you that it's, it's your, you're the master of your domain. I think that's the, the biggest appeal, at least for me. Welcome to the Powder Hounds Podcast, a ski trivia game podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Shaw. Recently, I've been pondering the ideal ski experience. On one hand, the mega passes, world-class ski resorts, and private home rentals offer incredible terrain, fine dining, entertainment, and comfortable lodging. On the other hand, Lesser-known ski areas and modest accommodations offer a more authentic, certainly rustic, experience. Of course, a middle ground exists, not to mention the increasingly sought backcountry lines. On today's episode, my good friend Adam, an expert in not just camping, but backcountry winter camping, makes a strong case to consider the nature-focused, completely outdoors winter experience to enhance the next ski trip, or should I say, ski trek. As you will hear, Adam has been living an outdoor lifestyle forever. Growing up on the East Coast provided ample forest, mountain, and ocean access, with an almost decade-long stop in San Diego en route to the Front Range of Colorado. Our conversation covers a lot of ground. A few things to keep in mind. First, backcountry winter camping may seem overwhelming if you've never done it before. It doesn't have to be. A knowledgeable friend, watching YouTube videos, and reading blog posts will help make it more doable. Second, always start small, like really small. Next big snow dump, build a snow fort, which happens to be the word of the episode, in your backyard. Now, wilderness, your backyard probably isn't, but turning off your phone will at least help create a similar setting. While we didn't get into sources for finding winter camping sites, not to worry, there are plenty out there. Here are a few. For RVs, the familiar Campgrounds of America. For federally managed campgrounds, check out recreation.gov or Reserve America. 
For family-owned RV parks to state parks to legal dispersed camping zones, check out the Dirt and Campendium. For privately owned campgrounds, check out Hip Camp, Tenter, or Harvest Host. For glamping, check out Glamping Hub or Camp Spot. For glamping resorts, check out Under Canvas, Auto Camp, Wander Camp. Yeah, there's a lot of resources. The familiar tune of today's episode was Aerosmith, giving a nod to one of our favorite movies of all time. Yeah, you know the one. All right, all right, all right. So sit back in that green chair, kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing and riding. Powderhound. The temperature has dropped and snow has begun to fall across the country. With summer adventures in the rearview mirror, camping gear is rolled up and tucked away, waiting for warmer weather when camping season begins anew. But wait, there is no camping season. You can go camping all year long. The trick, of course, is to know before you go. That was from Mountain House. And yes, it is May. It might not be winter, but the point of that passage was there is no camping season. You can camp all year long. And I'm going to talk to my good buddy, Adam, who's joining us today to talk about his experience winter camping. Adam, welcome to the show. Jeff, thanks so much for having me and looking forward to uh, having this discussion because winter camping is definitely uh, near and dear to uh, what I love doing. All right. Well, I'm glad to have you on the pod today. Yeah. So, yeah. Were you always, I mean, you were out in San Diego. You were obviously living on the East Coast for a while. Now you're in the Rockies and the uh, Mountain Standard Time. So, yeah. Were you always uh, doing this, this camping thing? So never, not so much as a kid, we didn't do too much camping. My dad had the old huge uh, canvas tent with the old poles that took like a degree to figure out how to set up. Um, but when we actually did pitch that thing, it was just like mostly outside of our house uh, with an electric cord. So we could watch TV off an air mattress. Right. That was probably the, uh, you know, the glamping back in the day. Uh, I didn't, didn't so much get into camping, maybe, maybe around college time frame. Um, I mean, I remember uh, once or twice. At, uh, we spent some time together during that college time. I don't yep. remember getting the invite, though. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> like, it wasn't much for camping. Like, it would be more so during a break back home yeah. um, with, like, yeah. a, like, a buddy or two, uh, probably in the woods behind their house or behind my house in the woods because um, we want to go out and drink some beer. That sounds That's, familiar. That was the most of that camping at that point. I might have um, been there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or behind Gray House, and we just passed yeah. out, and we called yeah. it camping. Yeah. Um, whatever it was, there was a fire, so it it, it yeah. checked the boxes. That's it. Yeah. Um, then uh, I would say more so when we moved out to San Diego, we did a lot more camping with a couple groups of friends, where we'd go back to the Laguna Mountains, which was um, back before you get to the Anzabrego Desert, up in there, some really cool spots. Um, or, you know, going up north a little bit in California, going to Sequoia Park or any of the national parks okay. uh, to do some camping there. But nothing, nothing extreme. I never really, never really got into like backpacking until moving out to Colorado, which was about five years ago. Um, my buddy Ian, um, which I, I know you've met, mm -hmm. um, he, was, he was more so into it. So he had the gear and he got me into it. Uh, to really go out and and get remote, where you can definitely easily do here out in the in the Rockies, um, 
and you know, I, I tested the waters where first understanding what I could carry in my backpack. So of course, like, you know, the first trip out there, my pack weighs close to probably 60 pounds, which you don't want that to be like that. <laughs> um, especially hiking around elevation when you're over, you know, 10,000 feet oh, and oh, you got yeah. 60 pounds on your pack and you got to go even, you know, a scale another 2000 feet up, uh, to get over some, some hills or mountains, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, after understanding the first trip or two, spending a lot of time on Amazon being like, well, you know, I bet I can buy the, the lighter version of this and, and the more compact version of this. And you really start working out that equipment, um, at least for the, the warm weather backpacking to understand how to get as light as you can. But within that first year, we just wanted to get out. And that's when we started the winter camping. Okay. Um, okay. And that, the first trip out, we decided that we were going to go up to this area called Brainerd Lake. Uh, and we went to the winter parking lot and hiked probably about a half mile to three quarters of a mile in the opposite direction of all the trail where the trails went. We went just not off the trail in snowshoes um, and found this little clearing and built a snow fort. Now, Sounds it like was magical what kids' dreams are made of. We oh, it, a snow fort. You know, it was just like, yeah, I felt like a kid in a candy shop out there where, you know, the, the world was, was there for me to mold, you know, literally with the snow to, to build a, a fort. Um, we had grandiose ideas, of course, for this first snow fort um, where we cut a whole bunch of like dead, dead trees down and use that for like a frame for the fort. And then we, we, we filled the snow in all around it to fully encompass it. And then um, created kind of like this drop tarp in the tarp in the front so we can fold it up and then have a big fire in front so we can get that ambient heat going in there. Yeah. Um, but of course we made it way too big, um, put way too much snow on it. It was not the most cold. It wasn't the, mo- the warmest uh, of, uh, of sleeping environments. Um, but luckily, you know, I wrapped myself up like a taco and a tarp and some, uh, <laughs> and some sleeping bags to, to help keep me warm throughout the night. But, uh, you know, that was, that was really the first winter camping adventure. Okay. okay. Um, and it, it got pretty cold. Uh, I'm yeah. not going to lie. It, uh, it really taught us the next time we go out, what, what we need to do. Yep. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, so you know, covered a lot of ground there and, uh, we're going to, I'm going to pick apart a, a few pieces of that. And I, I kind of like how you started off just sort of the idea of maybe starting a little small, right? Sort of, I, I know maybe the extreme example as a kid running extension cord from her house into uh, your yard, you know, maybe, uh, folks listening that want to give it, give it a go need to start a little bit farther down the line, but nonetheless, still important. Uh, but the fact that, you know, there is sort of this progression, right? Well, whether it is, you know, the, the gear that you need, obviously your buddy Ian going with someone who knows what they're doing. There's yeah. only so much that you can read about or, you know, go, you know, take a course about or, or whatever it is. And it really, uh, especially where to go, you know, you really kind of do rely on that local knowledge, but I want to back up a little bit and then we will continue the conversation. Uh, so it sounds like, you know, you, you got a little outdoors going on uh, in the blood, uh, based from back home, you know, out West and, uh, now in the Rockies, uh, are there other outdoor interests that you have now that you've sort of established, you know, going on year five of, of winter camping and, and, uh, and being out there, at least in Colorado, uh, what other outdoor activities, you know, kind of helped get you to where you are now? Um, I mean, I was definitely... Uh, always the person that 
uh, it's when I was back east uh, in a good snowstorm, I would be out in the snow for hours. Um, I loved building um, sled ramps. Uh, I had a hill right out in front of my house um, where I would go out there and really customize a tube trail uh, to take this thing down uh, and even go off like a ramp um, to, to hit a gap and then a whole landing zone. And I mean, I'd get to the point of being out there with a spray bottle during really cold nights, spraying this, this thing down so it'd have a, a nice <laughs> layer of ice uh, to shoot down uh, the next day. Um, like really meticulous. I'm um, Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, the thing that I would say put a damper on one of that is one of the nights that I was going down on a snowboard, um, the bindings broke off and I dislocated my shoulder. Um, so my parents didn't really like so much the idea of having this ramp out in front of their house any longer, um, where it's, it's damaging their child. Um, not so, to mention perhaps his uh, ability to, to take the field on Friday Night Lights. Exactly. Yeah, I'd put a little damper on my, uh, my sport, sporting events. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I took a kind of a step back from the extreme sledding or, or doing that so much. Um, you know, I did get into skiing as a kid. Um, and I know that this is kind of, you know, the big picture idea of, of your podcast is more so skiing, um, where... You know, my uncle uh, what did uh, professional skiing um, with racing back in the day. So he taught me how to ski because uh, I kind of had no fear as a kid, um, just like building a ramp and making it go as fast as possible. Um, he would take me to the top of Stratton and, you know, I'd go into French fries and, and just kind of rock it as fast as I possibly could. Um, he even got me going into a, a race one time uh, where I actually did the, the slaloms and, and yeah. went down and did the full on event. But I enjoyed really doing it on my own uh, on speed as opposed to competing really in that ski uh, type of environment. Um, but it, it was something that I did love. Uh, skiing, skiing was a lot of fun, but I just never, my, my family wasn't into it. So it was tough to, to get out. Um, I, I was good because he had two, my cousins were younger at that time. And sometimes he would take them all to like a hotel. I would get to watch them babysit for the night. And then he would take me skiing the next day. So I got to do that a couple of times with them and, and, you know, really enjoyed it. Um, didn't kind of, didn't do so much skiing back out West. Um, there's not too many snow hills in San Diego. So no, uh, no yeah, they're really so, missing out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. Who, who, who to thunk it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, I, I did get into a lot of outdoor activities with a lot of hiking, um, back, not backpacking, but camping and then hiking based off of camping, um, and just really getting out into remote areas, uh, whether that be in state forests, national parks, um, just still being in the outdoors and, and getting remote. Um, if I had the choice besides of doing like a campground to going remote, I would do remote every single time. Ooh, okay. So, um, okay. but then of course, moving out here to Colorado, now that you have the snow element, um, I did uh, get back into skiing a little bit more. So again, not so much. Um, my, my wife doesn't like skiing um, and my girls are really, really young uh, and they kind of have the same temperament as me that I know that if I put them at top of a hill, they'll go as fast as humanly possible down it. It's and that scares, <laughs> that scares me to death. And I really don't want to like, you know, pull the trigger on that one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, unfortunately this last year I was out at Keystone with a buddy skiing Um, and I was making a turn and slipped and fell and dislocated my shoulder again. So that really, 
put the kibosh on the potential for skiing in the future mm -hmm. because the the way that it dislocated this time it wasn't even like a, a bad crash i just kind of like slipped and i just put my arm out and it just it went out and they had to give me the whole texas toboggan ride down the side of the oh, mountain no. with my Adam. shoulder dislocated fully wrapped up it took Adam. them an hour and a half at the hospital at the base of the mountain to get this thing to go back into the socket and um, my expensive day that was a $200 day quickly turned into a $1,000 day uh, to do uh, 10 runs. Well, so, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to point out that uh, when I took you to Winter Park, I uh, want to say uh, maybe the season or two before, yep. you came in one piece. And, and you I left. left in one piece. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I did have one sweet snow beard, though. That was. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Oh, man. That was great. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm sorry to hear about the, your, your key, the Keystone incident. That will perhaps it will be referenced from this point, point on. But uh, yeah. But I could see, yeah, that's a, uh, that, that's a, uh, uh, a, a memorable mark on, on that, at least outdoor activity. But I want to go back to sort of that, uh, that tie-in that you said, sort of at least with the theme of the podcast. As folks know, it's, it's certainly a skiing and riding-based uh, podcast. But we are looking for other topics that are interesting. And, and, I, and I thought the winter camping was, was one because, you know, actually, I think episode two it was, you know, we recorded from a, from a from one of the the huts uh happened to be mount mansfield in vermont you know uh, and there's certainly hut networks out in colorado you probably know much more about them than i do but there sort of is that sort of i don't know rustic original whatever you want to call it sort of ability to not necessarily stay in the glitzy condo or mega mansion you know airbnb or yeah. in a hotel or whatever at the base of the mountain with all the you know entertainment nightlife and all the distractions no you just want a place to be like you know in some solitude maybe with a good group of friends and just have a simple experience and you know our weekend up there was probably the best time i'd had in a, in, in years just because of sort of the simplicity of it all certainly a good yeah. company we recorded a podcast saw a sunrise saw a sunset uh got some fresh snow you know and that all was part of it but uh i guess it's sort of maybe within the last year that we all you know, live through, survive, sort of getting back to basics, right? And sort of our natural environment. So I think, you know, the tie-in, I thought there, there sort of was one and a good one. And uh, while, uh, you know, we could focus on the, we're going to focus on the one, the winter camping, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the ability to, I guess, you know, tie it together when you can uh, is something I want to try to do more of, whether it is, uh, you know, taking the, the next step from the hut to uh, to some sort of, you know, backpacking or, winter camping with the tent, which we'll talk about. Sure. Um, and uh, maybe if I'm lucky enough at some point to stumble upon a great deal for an RV, which you have, uh, we're able to do and, and, and get that route. Uh, but um, yeah, so let, let me, uh, let me talk a little bit about that. So, uh, you know, that's uh, your big purchase last year or two years ago, I guess. And you had some time to, uh, to take the RV, for a few spins, uh, and how is that? I mean, would, I, would you say that you used it for, you know, again, I think, yes, you know, you know going camping during the more seasonal summer, spring, fall time, uh, and, but do you have any plans to bring it, uh, you know, uh, on, a, on a winter camp trip at some point? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's something where it's a great way to have a base camp 
Um, so not only with winter camping or even just snowshoeing or even backcountry cross cross country skiing. Um, I haven't gotten the skis myself, but my buddy who got me into the whole backpacking, uh, he's got the cross country skis with slicks. So you can go uphill without sliding backwards and then hit as many of the downhills. Um, and that's something that, you know, even though I'm dissuaded from maybe pushing myself off the side of a ski mountain to go skiing, um, (laughs) cross country skiing is a little bit more manageable because you can go a little bit at a slower pace. Um, I had the great opportunity to stay up at Walter's cabin, uh, up near Vail this past July, which is part of the hut to hut system that runs around for the hundred mile track that goes all around through Vail and in those, those areas that was built by the, I'm going to butcher this, like the hundredth brigade division or something way back in the day. 10th mountain division. That's it. Exactly. Um, So it's a hundred mile loop that you can do um, and and they do it over six weeks. Um, You could do it like that, or you can do like a full week, really depending on what, what you want to do for that. And I have that on, on one of my bucket lists to, to do that type of, of hut to hut with cross country skiing, um, where they let you hit fresh powder in these bowls all in the back country, kind of whenever you want. Um, with the RV, I'd be able to do that as well. Um, where like I took the RV one time, uh, my buddy and I, we went up to the top of Grays and Tories, which are two 14ers. So you can, you can drive up for a good amount of it. We posted up at the base. So that way we can wake up at four o'clock in the morning uh, to be able to watch the sunrise over the, the mountains and hit up the 14er before noon hits. Cause you got during the summer, you don't want to be up uh, on top of a mountain af- in the afternoon because a thunderstorm is going to come by, yeah. um, which kind of gets scary. But, you know, I'd love to do that with the RV in, in the winter time. Um, now that we just got the generator fixed and everything so we can keep it nice and warm and toasty, which is the, the biggest element that you have when really consider wintering camping, you know, how am I going to stay warm? Right. Right. Yep. Well, definitely keep me in mind on that, uh, that uh, six week cross country hut to hut trip. Oh, because yeah. that's, uh, that's definitely something I'm thinking about. And, and, uh, you know, if I, uh, if there's no room for me in the, uh, log, 004 uh then uh, i got some i got some family out there that might be able to put me up uh for at least part of it but uh yeah so i, I guess when we uh we start talking about the types of camping uh, you know winter camping that is you know my simple east coast mind that does not have as an extensive uh, outdoor uh camping uh cv as you do i think of it sort of in three buckets sort of you got your rv or your camp you know your van you know parked at either a designated campsite or at maybe a ski area parking lot that allows you to stay overnight. So that's sort of one bucket. You have a community, you know, around you. So there's people, you have uh, amenities, you might be able to plug in. There might be 24 hour uh, access to restrooms, heat. (laughs) Uh, So that's sort of the first bucket. Yep. Uh, then you have sort of the hut system you just described, and um, I was referencing up, for, up at Stowe and Mount Mansfield. But then, you know, there's sort of this outdoor, you know, out backcountry winter camping that is sort of in a pre- presumably a remote, uh, but maybe not, maybe a marked campsite, but certainly could be a remote uh, section of wilderness. And, uh, you know, so it really does sort of spread the experience you know completely different experiences on some level so i'm curious uh, is that accurate sort of those three buckets i I think you said there's definitely a few more in your book that you'd consider uh so can you talk a little bit about that and sort of where your your head's at and you said you definitely prefer remote over campgrounds if you have absolutely so can you talk a little bit more about that sure yeah so i i kind of think of you have um 
RV camping, of course, you're sleeping in an RV. Then you have uh, car camping where you're going to mostly like a campground and you're sleeping in a tent at that campground. Then you can get into actual backcountry camping where you can do backpacking, snowshoeing, and still bring a tent and post that up on the snow. Um, what I personally like best um, is backpacking in the snow with snowshoes and building your own snow fort. Now, I've done a couple different variations of snow forts um, and have really locked into one that I prefer out of all of the rest, and that's called a Quincy. So it's in layman's term, you're building a giant snow mound and then digging it out into your fashion of, of snow fort. Um, you know, don't listen to people that say they want to go out and build an igloo. That is a giant time suck. Um, <laughs> unless you have ideal conditions with snow, um, you're either packing the snow into little bricks and then you have to make a piece by piece and that just takes way too long. Or you're actually cutting out ice chunks and using those bricks to again make that same format. And it takes a lot to make a good size igloo, um, a, a lot of time. Um, whereas if you go and find a remote area, you can find some good snow drifts. And like I said, you're making just a giant snow pile. So you're just walking around shoveling and making this pile as large as possible. So when you're doing it that way, it doesn't matter the type of snow that you get. Um, you know, what is it? The Eskimos have gazillion different uh, names for the type of snow that there is. And, and you, you see this, it's very apparent, especially when you start digging in a into drifts where you get this light fluffy powder that doesn't compact at all. But as you build the giant snow mound, the actual ice crystals start to form itself. And once you have the pile done, you let it sit for two plus hours so mm -hmm. that it actually starts compacting on itself. During that time, uh, you want to make a whole bunch of one foot long sticks. Um, and they could be thin. So what you do is you basically make this mound look like a porcupine by putting these one foot sticks in all around. So that way you're getting a good foot long or foot depth type of um, wall. So as you're digging onto the inside, you're going up and hitting the tips of these sticks. So that way you have good symmetry going throughout the whole, the, the dome, because you want to have that evenly spaced out. Um, one thing that we did learn uh, with, with doing an overnight in a Quincy, um, the first time we did it, uh, it got to negative 18 at night. But... Inside so this, yeah, real chilly, exactly. <laughs> I, went to, I tried to take a picture of what it looked like and my phone froze. So, I, you know, wow. it was that cold. Um, but within the Quincy, it was 40 to 45 degrees. Um, you have to make sure that you have air circulation. So we had a little vent in the back. I had a little tea light that we kept in there the whole time. You know, the old canary in the coal mine type trick of like, as long as that light's burning, we have oxygen. Um, but went to bed at night with the seat, the roof probably being about this high above my head. Uh, and when I woke up in the morning, I slapped my face on the ceiling because it had compressed uh, about a foot and a half overnight Ooh. Um, due to the heat that we had. Um, so, you know, you, you definitely have to uh, accommodate for understanding that there's going to be some shrinkage. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, usually that's uh, that's not maybe not surprising, and uh, <laughs> you know it's not just pools, that cold, environment. Uh, co cold pools. So how long does it take you to make the uh, the Quincy to to actually build it? And um, I mean, I guess maybe we'll start off uh, with with the actual campsite. So 
you know, in terms of maybe prepping the, uh, the ground, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, and, and selecting a, a location. So I guess, yeah, first of all, yeah. in terms of building this structure, how long does, you know, that, uh, that, that take and, uh, you know, in terms of identifying, you know, perhaps a safe uh, place to, to set up, uh, set up camp, uh, how, yeah. how do you go about that? So you always want to check your conditions before going out, um, how much snowfall you've had, what the average depth is in the area that you're going to. Um, and then kind of based off of that, you can understand that in some areas there's going to be drifts. And that's really, those are the sections that you want to look for because you need a lot of snow for this. Mm -hmm. um, you always want to go out. Um, you could break a branch. You could bring a snow testing pole. My buddy actually did avalanche school testing. So he's got the, the whole setup to like stick down and measure the depths and all of that. Um, so as we're going back in snowshoes, um, just, you know, we just picked a random direction. Um, you know, we're kind of testing the depths and everything. And then eventually we found a good spot, um, tech, check the depths and it, and it worked out and you really just start, just start digging and just start making a, a mound. Like you, you want to walk out and see kind of what your circumference is. You want to guesstimate, you know, we had two people sleeping in it. So we wanted to make it, you know, at least like nine feet wide because then you have the two foot on each side and, you know, you kind of loosely base that off of, of how well you're going to sleep once the dome is created. Um, and I would say it took maybe four hours, um, okay. a good, a good two hours of just of shoveling. Um, and then you have the, 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 and that doesn't include the wait time because then during the wait time you go out and you, you get a whole bunch of firewood while it's compacting and you build the rest of your camp. Um, but then after that time frame is out and you start digging into the camp, that's when it's fun because now you get a bunch of extra snow and you can start building up walls around the sides of your yeah. camp as you're pulling it out from, you know, from the snow fort you're making. Um, and you get a big rip and fire going at the same time that's melting snow. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it feels like, again, you're a kid again, just out there playing in the snow, making a fort that knowing that I'm going to sleep in this thing tonight, you know, you get, we even set up a little sled so that way you, you put yourself on the sled, then you pulled yourself in and you, you slid into the, into it. We created a, a heat sink. So that way, like we, we did, did two beds up on the side. So that way you can sit on the beds and put your feet down. And what a heat sink does also is that the cold air from within the Quincy goes down into the heat sink. So your bed's above where you're, you're sleeping and you're trapping all that cold air. So it's. Okay. I'm thinking about, so so you basically have the design already in your head, like how you're going to do this. And, yep. and that's, so, so I guess let's talk about that. So in terms of preparation, so how'd you get there? So uh, are there specific, you know, you know, you know, sort of sources of information to, to figure out kind of the best way to go about it? And, and I know the answer is yes. Maybe. So the question is, you know, what, what are those, where do folks find those? But then, I guess the other part of it is, all right, you just talked about minus 18 outside. You talked about a two hour shoveling, perhaps a two hour, you know, building uh, the hike to the location. So there's some, there's some physical exertion happening here at elevation. So oh, yeah. what would you say is, is, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the recommended, uh, you know, fitness or stamina test that one would have to pass to have a successful, overnight or uh, multiple overnights uh sure yeah so just like doing the proper testing of where you're going and understanding the snowfall and everything knowing your conditions of your body is is definitely um utmost importance um you know i'm very physically active so i know that i can i can go a while but still the first time we did this we only snowshoed a half mile 
we, we didn't we didn't exert ourselves too far. Um, I watched a plethora of YouTube videos, read a whole bunch of um, blogs on people that do backcountry um, uh, sleeping and everything. And you know, you, the biggest thing, regardless if you're not going to make a snow fort, is that you have to think on the if if all hell broke loose, you know, what do I have on myself to survive? So you have to account for you got to have a good backpack. You got to have a good sleeping bag and a sleeping bag that's rated for the cold that you're going into. So, you know, I personally just have a 20 degree bag and it being negative 18, I knew that wouldn't cut it. So I brought two sleeping bags. So that way you can double up. So even if, um, and, and on top of that, then I have a, um, a mummy sack that um, is an outer reach that basically is like this little tiny coffin that you can slide into and it's fully <laughs> from the slide. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, this would be like, if I want to sleep out in the elements, like it's just like okay. a, you know, uh, a bitty sack. Sorry. That's what, that's what it's called. Okay. Um, that if we weren't able to make a snow fort, I can take my two sleeping bags. I could slide into this bitty sack. I can zip it up and I'd be warm and I'd be able to survive in the, in the elements, um, without having to do anything else. So the snow fort on top of that is kind of like, Oh, this is, it's almost like glamping at that point of like, oh, we created a, a house that's 45 yeah. degrees inside. Um, but if need be, I could have survived in the negative 18 um, with just the equipment that I had on me. Um, you know, and then we even took it that step further and I, and I set up the, a sled be, be, uh, behind me with ropes. So I was pulling a sled so that way we could have a couple extra comforts. You know, I brought a uh, propane uh, tent heater in case we needed like actual heat, could get a fire going if stuff was too wet. Um, brought some beers, you know, you gotta have some, have some fun out there. Um, Doesn't that make you cold, you know, when you're outside, right? You know, it's- Blood circulation. It, it's interesting, <laughs> you know, when you bring beer- I'm not uh, it, believe me, I'm just- You, you know, it's, it's twofold, like you wanna have some beers, but then, you know, if you're sleeping inside a snow fort at night and you gotta get up to go to the bathroom, that's not the easiest thing to do. Or uh, especially to get when, out of the uh, when the snow's contracting down <laughs> exactly. on your exactly <laughs> exactly so you uh you know you, you got to find ways to uh to take care of that in the middle of the night um mm -hmm. which uh, are always uh, a, a lot of laughter is involved when there's a will there's a way yeah so <laughs> exactly. talk about the talk about the campsite itself so uh you know hopefully your uh quincey or your tent or your igloo not your igloo don't do that uh is you know uh is built is in a good shape talk about the rest of the campsite you know the maybe the do's and don'ts around that uh i know you said obviously uh you need a place to go at some point and then uh also you know in terms of uh, you know your, your your fire your uh you know wherever else you know so you want to store your gear you know what's what's sort of the what does that look like sure sure so i'm looking uh, back in my photos right now to see if i can get you a picture of of the two different snow forts well actually three different snow forts i have uh, on here um that's so, quite the uh, quite the variety of some options of the snow forts. Exactly. That, uh, so you got to keep this, things interesting. So I guess this you one it up. Uh, was the the Quincy. So okay, that's my buddy. So I'm looking at a fairly yeah pretty dug dug down. Um, so the hole to his left was the entrance, and that okay. whole mound is the Quincy itself. I see. Um, okay, I get that. And you can see we had a whole fire going that whole time. 
um, the fire to keep is us. Outside. Okay, the fire is on the other side of the. Um... Yeah, it's a, a little bit for like six feet from the the entrance, the door entrance. Okay. Gotcha. Um, you know, so that way we can keep that just burning the entire time, mm -hmm. without you know, anytime you need to warm up, you had to have that because it, it was cold on that trip. Okay. Um, I mean, you really gotta. It, it, we got lucky with the, the snow drift that we we found that time and it, and able to put that much snow that was actually the second trip that we made in that area because uh, the year before that we did a different um a different type of snow fort that we did mostly with like sticks i don't have a picture of it on this one um so we we knew kind of that that general area okay. uh, from a previous scouting event um and that's that's always the the best place to start that really if it's your first time out or second time go somewhere where it's it's comfortable where we knew that we were only a half mile from the parking lot that we, we went to that if really, if on top of having all the gear on me, if need be, I could have left it and gone back and slept in the car. Right. Um, you, you really got to create multiple exits, safety measures um, mm -hmm. when doing something in these elements, because it isn't a joke when you really think about the, what you're sleeping in or in the elements that you're can be exposed to. Um, it can be life-threatening. Uh, as much fun as we're having in it, there is a realization that this is something that could kill me. Um, yeah. so, so all that proper work up to that of getting all the right equipment in, in for my bags, the sleeping bags, tent if I had it, or the, the bivy sack, um, the right food, making sure you have water, making sure that you can keep your water not frozen. Um, I kept uh, personally a water bladder uh, on my chest that I had a, a camel pack, but I just put the backpack backwards and kept it on my chest and my snowsuit over that. So that way that was always um, not frozen on my chest. Uh, and then I had the tube that was just still inside my coat because you, you don't want to put the tube on the outside, which I've learned right. that will freeze. And then you can't even suck from the, the camel pack any longer. Right. So it's, right. it's definitely of, of really understanding you, you got to have the food, you got to have the shelter and you got to have water yeah. um, and, and, and exit strategy. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's, that's a great point you make and just, you know, really speaks to really any sort of pursuit that's maybe off the grid. You know, there's always a safety, uh, safety considerations to take into account. Um, I'm curious, how often do you do this? How often do you go winter camping? You know, I'm uh, just trying to make a parallel on how often someone, maybe a, a dedicated skier rider, you know, goes uh, multiple times a week, or a weekend warrior, sure. every couple, every month, you know, a couple months. You know, what, what does that look like? Um, so so I've only been... A time commitment. Yeah, oh, definitely. I've been doing winter camping for the last five years, I would say. And on average, once or twice a year, I've been able to go. Um, you know, I would probably be able to do that more so if I was heavier into skiing, I would probably make that happen more so. Um, but I also have two very young girls that, it, you know, it's, it's tough to get away for a full weekend trip or most of these overnight was just a one overnighter. Um, first for, for testing, testing it to see how long you want to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes one night is plenty. Um, if it's, if it's really cold or adverse conditions. Um, but, uh, you know, Personally, I'd love to try to get out there as, as much as possible, but it's just I, I don't have the, the opportunity uh, to get out as often as I'd like to. So now, luckily, with the RV, the whole family goes, you know, not putting them through the, uh, the, the what they would consider torture of sleeping in a snow fort, um, where it's my, I love it. 
but that's uh you just have to keep saying snow fort snow fort snow fort oh, the girls exactly are, get into it you just it's, it's it's contagious how do you not smile when you put it in those terms oh totally i'm sure my my daughters would love it as long as i had a plentiful supply of snacks to feed them every 15 minutes well yeah that's uh, actually a good point i didn't ask you about that so what does the food situation look like i was going to say the uh, bread and butter of this podcast is skiing and riding we're branching out a little bit today but what would you say is uh sort of the go-to essentials food, uh, even drink, but obviously we want to stay hydrated at elevation and through exertion in all types of conditions, warm or cold. But yeah. uh, what does the food sort of situation look like? So first we're liquids. You want to have at least like three liters of water per night or per day. Um, being in snow uh, and making a fire, you do have the opportunity to melt just the snow to get your own water because you don't have that readily access to water supplies. Um, it is kind of cool if you do find a, a nice spot that has a, a little brook that's running or like a, a frozen waterfall that you can tap into and get some of that nice Rocky Mountain water because, man, it is delicious. Um, but if you are going to be melting snow, you got to make sure you have like, you know, a coffee pot or something you can put over the fire. Um, you got to be able to filter that water, whether if you're just straining it through like a coffee filter or if you have like, um, you know, a Sawyer Mini or a Sawyer Squeeze, one of the water filtration things stick it through that so that way you can have a, a constant supply of water and if you have a good constant supply of water then you could really get into the mre bags or the you know the the dried dried food that's kind of a double-edged sword with dried food it is incredibly salty so it's going to make you more thirsty so you have to have the ready supply of water um, those of course are the easiest to bring backpacking they're in those packs already you know, especially the, um, the mountaineering ones that come even like vacuum sealed. So it takes up even less room in your backpack. Because keep in mind, if you're starting down at like where I live, it's around 6,000 feet. By the time I get up to 10,000 feet where we're camping, if I had something that wasn't vacuum sealed, it's going to inflate. Right. You know, it's the, the, so right. you're taking up more room in your bag. Right. Um, so that's always something you have to consider. Uh, some camping trips, I've pre-cooked food. Uh, I like to date, make like a roasted vegetable with Brussels sprouts, potatoes, broccoli, um, and maybe like you could throw a protein in there with either like hot dogs or chicken sausage or regular chicken. And you just put that into uh, some aluminum foil. So that way, once you get to the campsite, you know, you just throw it on a couple sticks over the fire, just heat that up and you have a meal ready to go. If you're not going the, the salty route with the MRE bag, um, gotcha you know, having something that is just, you know, almost, it's like comfort food sometimes. Um, In but, those conditions, you might need it. Oh, it, it's great. You know, some, <laughs> or you bring like a, just a, a can of stew, you know, some nice, uh, some hearty beef stew that you just throw on the fire as well. Cause nothing warms you up, like getting a nice warm belly and some good, good food in you. So it's, you know, it's paramount that you, you do understand the, the type of food that you're going to want in a situation that'll make you, make you happy. You know, bring, bring some other things that make you happy too. Bring some Snickers bars. Um, those are great because you got the caramel, the sweet, but the nuts to be able to give you some additional protein um, while having a nice snack. Yeah. Um, you can always go the sugar route. You can go some Skittles and whatnot if you need that quick boost of energy. Um, because again, at elevation in these conditions and working that much, you're burning a lot of calories. Yeah. So so you, you do have to account for all of that, really, the, the conditions, the, the weather, the, uh, and how much act activity you're going to be doing for the type of foods that you need to bring. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Say, I uh, got got a couple uh, questions that I, I, I'm just curious your your responses to, and uh, as we sort of uh, pivot here a little bit, and uh, what would you say is the best? Let's start with the the, the most challenge. Let's start at the other side of the. Uh, Yin and the yang here. What's the most challenging part of winter camping? Staying warm. Okay. Um, and it's all. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, that's that's really it. That's that's the most amount of comfort. Not the Once heavy you, pack, and the you know, it's really just bottom, brass tacks. You got to stay brass alive. tacks. You got to stay warm. Um, because once you start getting cold, it's really hard to to get that back up. Um, so you know, throughout all the research and uh, the plethora of material that's available today with the layering systems is really paramount because you got to have stuff that you're going to be heavily active and you're going to be wearing a lot of gear. So you're going to sweat and sweating in the cold is something that's a big no, no. You do not want your, your gear to get wet underneath because once you stop sweating, your body temperature is going to drop significantly after that. And it's really tough to get that to dry. So, you know, you want a lot of smart wool. That's, that's huge for water wicking to bring it away from your body. Um, you want a lot of down. Um, so you have the, you know, you go with your smart wool layer. You can go with um, additional long john layer on top. You can do like two layers of long johns. So like you're either going like 150 mil, 150 mil smart wool, or you're going the 250 uh, to really keep you warm. Then you're doing a pair of pants that, you don't want cotton. Cotton kills. So you want all these the, cotton the polyester. Is cotton is rotten. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so you want stuff that's not going to be water absorbent. That's going to then just be like really hard to dry. Yeah. So you got to have those multiple layers that water wicks and then while retaining that, that heat. So, you know, I, then I have the, the winter puffy pants on top of that. So they're all waterproof. Then you have your shell jacket on top of that. That's again, water windproof. So um, it's really, really important that you have, that's your basis, a good pair of boots, good pair of socks, because again, you don't want your feet to get wet. You, I mean, you don't want to get wet or cold. That's, that's the biggest survival of, of winter camping. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're doing something like you're going skiing and you're in a parking lot and, you know, all you got to do is pitch a tent or you're sleeping in your car, you don't have to worry about it too much because you're not going to be working out too much outside to really build up that sweat. So understanding what you're going to be doing on your trip and, and accounting for that um, to not exceed uh, the, the threshold levels of, of comfort, that's, that's really important. Gotcha. Dry. The key to staying warm, stay dry. Stay dry. Exactly. A pair of socks ain't a bad idea either. All right. So switching gears from the more challenging side of things, what is yep. the best, sort of the most liberating, uh, what about, you know, think about winter camping, what keeps you coming back? The, the joy of building something um, and, and sleeping in it and being remote where you just like stop what you're doing and just listen to what's around you. Just being out there remote and it's, it's very, it's calming, it's meditative. Um, you, you get away to, from, from everything. You're, you're really just out in nature at the, in the elements. Um, and that's, that's the piece that I find uh, with going out into situations like that, whether it be winter camping and you're out there in the snow and, you know, you're just, the, 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 you know, the smell on a nice, you know, a cold snowy day where it's just, it's crisp. It's, 
it's clean, um, it feels good, or even you know when you're doing it backpacking during the, the spring or summer, um, it, it just just being remote and and not hearing traffic or or anyone else around you, that it's it's you're you're the master of your domain. I think that's the the biggest appeal, at least for me. Oh, great answer, great answer. <laughs> uh, now uh, this next one, I think you kind of answered it with the uh, the, the wall of the ceiling uh, <laughs> caving in, not caving in, but, not caving, yeah, but getting closer to your face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, looking looking back, you know, are there any uh, sort of those mishaps, miscalculations that you you learned from, or does anything does anything else kind of come to mind about it? It wasn't um, funny at the time, but looking back, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, I would say really for planning on what you're going to be sleeping in. So the, the first time winter camping, like we built this this wood f- structure as like a frame, and then we packed snow around that, thinking that that would keep us warm and insulated but we made it way too big. Um, so understanding that we bit off a little bit more than we can chew. So the next year we made that Quincy and it worked out really well, but then we did find out that, you know, it did shrink overnight. So knowing that the next time we build a Quincy, we made it even larger or we, we made the walls thicker. So that way you kind of have that less, less snow melt. Um, we did go out again and we built another shelter um, with logs, but instead of packing snow around it, we used tarps kind of on the inside and kind of did like a hanging shelter on the inside. Um, and we even built a, um, a, a fire pit that was attached to the shelter. So it was all encompassed where we had basically our own little uh, tarp shelter cabin with its own fireplace. Um, so, you know, we can, we were sleeping with cut logs right next to us and we just throw it in there throughout the night and we stayed nice and toasty warm. Um, but then again, that's that's all that's all tarps and and whatnot. So it really depends on what what you're going after, um, the the conditions that you're going into to really base the the type of shelter you're going to make, and also having the fallback of your own shelter, whether it be your own little one two person tent, a bivy sack, uh, or just you know a good amount of tarps to to keep you out of the elements. Well, I got to say the way you painted that picture, even with the assist from the tarps, you know, having a, that's almost like the, the iconic maybe image of a snow fort with the logs yeah. and the fire. So I'll uh, show you what that one looks like. Yeah. I'd love to see that one. That might even be the, uh, the artwork for the episode here, depending on how, the, how <laughs> I could, I could send you these pictures. So this is the, the outside view of it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's uh. That's some so that serious was, detail right there. And that was an indoor outdoor fire pit. So we started the fire pit on the outside and then there was yeah. a tube that goes to another indoor. So you can just push the fire to the inside and then close it off. So you have the fire pit on the inside. Wow. Um, let me see if I have. That's inside impressive. Shot. Oh yeah. This is what it looks like from sitting on the inside. Oh yeah. Wow. And we had you the co- windows open. Wow. You collected a lot of wood. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you got to do. I mean, yeah. it's really not, not much else to do besides sit around or that's, that's you're collecting hours. wood and, and cutting it. Cause if yeah. you don't have that prepped throughout the night, then sure. you're kind of, let's wow. see. Oh, here's another time we went back to that same spot. This is our little spot that we, we made up on a cliffside remotely. Um, wow. That's that yeah. Same port. yeah. There's the can- canvas uh, side there. Uh, yep. Is that a big, is that a big tree? tree right there it's a tree yep we yeah. built it off a tree yeah okay i was gonna say so you're tying everything to that gotcha exactly yeah gotcha 
So, wow. We, you yeah. know, we done it a couple, couple different ways. Um, having that structure was kind of nice. It being so remote, nobody knows where that is. So we can go back to it. Um, and, right. and right. keep staying there and making it better. Uh, yeah. We do have a plan to get back out there um, and tear it all down and rebuild it because we have some better structural ideas uh, on how to do it and maybe not um, putting a fireplace next to a live tree. That kind of wasn't the, sure, sure. the best idea, idea sure. cause especially when it almost caught fire. So that's, you know, that's things you learn also. That's a learning curve. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's uh, yeah. Hey, sometimes you got to learn the hard way, but you didn't. I mean, you just said yeah. you, you observed uh, what could happen, and uh, you're going to fix it. And uh, uh, sorry, don't burn uh, down the house you're living in. No, yeah, <laughs> no, no, never a good idea. Never a good idea. And we will not disclose the location of the nope. spot. So, uh, sorry, listeners, you're going to be disappointed about that. I have one final question for you, and then I want to shift into, if you're up for it, a, uh, a quick little trivia game that uh, sure. I, uh, I came up with here. Um, what would you say is the, 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 the most, I don't know, what is the one thing you learned about yourself through, through winter camping, through the, the whole sort of process and uh, your experiences to date? Uh, I would say being able to push yourself um, to different extremes and understanding your tolerance levels of really of what you can do physically and mentally um, because it, it can be really challenging, um, especially, you know, we did this one trip where we hiked out six miles uh, to a remote lake um, in a snowstorm, snowshoeing, where we averaged going about 1.2 miles per hour. Um, and it took us a, a long time to get out. And this was over 11,000 feet elevation. Ooh, so, wow. so you're going really slow. Um, and then when we, when we finally got out there, we were just exhausted and we still hadn't built camp yet. So you really have to push yourself to, to survive when you put yourself in those situations of being that remote where you, 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 you can't be complacent of, of this is, this is all I'm going to do, but you know, you, now you got to go get firewood. Now you got to pitch your tent and you got to, you got to build up, um, wind mounds for, for snow to, to help keep you warmer and, and get, get your equipment dry and, so I would say that's, that's the, the biggest thing I've learned is, is what is kind of that, those lim limits that you can bring yourself to. And would you say for, you know, your general outdoor enthusiast, uh, whoever he or she may be, whether mountain biker, skier, fisherman, hunter, whatever it is, uh, should everyone try this at least uh, give it a go? Absolutely. You know, if you're, if you're outdoorsy, um, whether you're doing it just like in a parking lot to go skiing the next day, uh, you really want to get remote and go many miles into the woods. Um, definitely do it. Try it out. Um, but don't bite off more than you can chew the first round. You know, everyone can have grandiose ideas of I'm going to go hike seven miles and be remote out here and we're going to build a snow fort. And you really got to account for the time frame that's going to take the conditions, all of that to then keep yourself happy at the same time to want to do it again. So, start small, yeah. really, really small, you know, just whether that's in a tent in the winter with a, with a heater, start off really easy. And then being like, I could do more and then expand from there because you're, you're open to the, the elements when you're out there um, and they're not forgiving. And Hey, there's nothing wrong with just running an extension cord from your house to your backyard. <laughs> exactly. You know, you it, start it, somewhere, <laughs> whatever your level of fun yeah. is, yeah. don't push it because <laughs> don't make it not fun that's yeah. uh that's my advice 
Well, hey, I, that's a great segue. Hopefully we will keep it fun because I'm going to try to stump the expert here with uh, some, some trivia questions on winter camping, cold weather camping to be specific. Uh, this is not originally questions for me. I did get this from, uh, ironically, the Boy, St Boy Scouts of America, Ohio chapter. And uh, the way you answer some of your questions, I feel like you probably could have written the, uh, the book here that I uh, cribbed from. <laughs> So uh, this this very well uh, very uh, this is probably from very familiar territory, but I did try to uh, you know throw a little some curveballs in here. So if you're up for Fire it, away, uh, got some questions, and then a final question, and we'll uh, we'll let you go. Actually, there will be one other chance for you if, uh, to to add on if I didn't ask something or you wanted to mention something else. But uh, hopefully, actually, these questions will at least uh, provide listeners with some level of uh, uh, association with what they w might want to think about. Uh, if they are to, uh, to to try some winter camping uh, next winter season. So sure. uh, we got a mix of true-false and multiple, multiple choice. And uh, first question, true-false. You don't need a water bottle in winter. If you're thirsty, just eat snow. False. That is you, correct. You do not want to eat snow <laughs> as a source of water because it will drop your internal core temperature down. And just like we talked about, you, staying warm is, is key for success. It literally is uh, almost identical, the rationale to what you just said. Yes. And, and uh, further, don't eat the yellow snow. Don't eat the yellow snow. Exactly. Number two. <laughs> Good segue. Maybe not. Uh, multiple choice. Uh, where, <laughs> where should you place your plastic ground cloth when tenting in snow? Okay. So we didn't actually cover this specifically, but the idea here is to create a barrier. Uh, to again keep yourself mm -hmm. warm. So again, question: Where should you place a plastic ground cloth when tenting in snow? A. Inside the tent. B. Under the tent floor. C. You don't need a ground cloth in winter. Uh, those are yeah. A, B, or C. So, um, I would say yeah. C. You don't need a, a ground cloth in winter. Um, if if you wanted to go alternate, you could put the ground cloth underneath your tent floor if you wanted to. Um, but it's just, it's, it's redundant at that point because your sleep system that you're sleeping on should be self-sufficient and not have to have that. So you're really going to need something that is your air mattress that with a high R value. So that's higher insulation. Um, I double up. So I have the, um, the folding crates, the ones that, uh, compact with the yellow on one side and the silver on the other. Um, and then I go with an inflatable, um, and those two R values together give me enough insulation. Um, because if you're going off with just like a blow-up mat that has a low R value, that's going to suck the heat right out of you throughout the night. So you got to keep that in mind um, when, when you're, you're sleeping directly on the snow. Gotcha. All right. Well, they said be under the tent floor, but your explanation works for me, and you know it better than I do. So I'm going to give you that one. Uh, take, the, take the expert's word for it. All right. Number I've gone three. both ways. <laughs> hey, you know what? Like you said, you got you to trial and error. Got to experiment. You you go both ways. Keep, keep it, uh, keep, keep it, keep it interesting. Number three, multiple choice. You have a jug filled with drinking water. It's best to a set it upside down in the snow. B set it right side up in the snow. C cover it with the tarp. D put it inside your tent. I feel like there could be two answers here, but, uh, what do you think? I would definitely say a would be the correct answer. Um, because Indeed. when, when things freeze, it <laughs> freezes at the top, right? For gravity. So if you have it flipped over, then it's technically the bottom of your bottle that'll freeze. So when you go to drink from it, it won't be frozen. Um, I always recommend keeping it on your person as close as to you. Um, but if you do need to put it remotely, 
then yeah, you flip it upside down. But when you're sleeping at night, you put all your water supplies within your sleeping bag as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice. Um, you boil some water. Uh, and if you have a canteen, you boil water first, fill that canteen with boiling water, then put that in your sleeping sack while you're sleeping. Nice and toasty. Oh man, I think you might be getting one of the questions later on in this list. Uh, so far, Adam, you are three for three. You are nailing it with uh, the explanation that the uh, Boy Scouts of America included. Number four, multiple choice, which trail stove? We didn't actually get to this uh, mm. specific on, on uh, gear and, and mm-hmm. stove specifically, but which trail stove is bad for winter camping? A, gasoline, B, butane, C, kerosene, D, propane. So you don't want to use propane because propane does freeze. Um, and it's really tough to use a propane tank, one of those small little portable ones, when you're out in the cold for winter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's best to always use the, like, was it the butane or uh, the gas? So mm-hmm. that way you can just fire yeah. that up and use one of those little tiny, um, you know, pre-soaked cloths and just let that go. Uh, or you're cooking over your fire. Yep. Four yep. four. Well done. Yep. Let's keep going. Multiple I don't even use a regular lighter out there. I even have a, uh, an electric arc lighter. No, it's, a, <laughs> it's an arc lighter. So it creates the, uh, the spark in between the arc. So that way I don't have to rely oh, yeah, on, yeah, 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 on a yeah. regular lighter because again, uh, regular lighters were freeze. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. You're gonna have to put a list for the show notes about uh, sort of the gear hacks here. Uh, I could, I could forward my gear list. I'm sure it's a couple of pages long. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, please do. Why not? Yeah. Uh, multiple choice. What do you do with your boots at night? Um, set them outside. Who came up with this question? Really? Never mind. We're going to skip that one. Uh, of course, you keep them inside your tent. All right. Number six. Besides a cell phone, what's the best signal gear to bring on a winter campout? Uh, oh, a, multiple choice. A whistle, a flare gun, a handheld marine orange smoke signal hmm. a b or c i would go with a whistle that's uh okay. tried and true um okay. i mean besides a cell phone but i also try so there, on- this is a definitely a trick question not to cut you off but i want uh-huh. to point it out because uh they're all acceptable answers uh and they only said the, the only <laughs> So anyway, they only, yeah, said, good, good. they only said the smoke signal because, uh, you know, it, it can be visible for miles, but it's uh, going all up the, higher. All yeah. the answers are correct. Same thing with the flare. <laughs> yeah. Um, I even um, would recommend getting um, a GPS that you can subscribe to, like the Garmin in, was it the inReach or in, yeah, inReach? Um, and you can have preset uh, SMS texting. So that way you're going off of satellite and you can also text someone with these three canned responses of all is well, send help, or coming home, you know, something like that. Um, so you can definitely make sure you, you can let your loved ones know what's going on. And if should something happen, you have a GPS trackable of, um, gear uh, that Snow Rescue uh, can come and find you. Yep. That, is, that is also huge to have that gear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially yeah. here in the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, just, you know, all the talk and over, you know, and it's not new, but just sort of avalanche safety too, you know, just sort of having all the, the transponders and the, the beacons and um, not to discount any of that and not to discount sort of all that safety um, right. gear. Um, 
So yeah, that's uh, good stuff. All three are uh, accurate and we're gonna throw in Adam's suggestion that for the fourth. Uh, so I'll update that question and answer for future uh, quizzes. Uh, let's you go. hit up those Boy Scouts and you tell them. <laughs> I know, man. I'm like, come on guys, this is- I mean, they're right. in Ohio, yeah, so- uh, this, is, this isn't the yeah. Colorado uh, Boy Scouts of America, I gotcha. <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, I should, I should work, work a little harder finding my questions. We're gonna skip a couple because they're also uh, pretty basic. Uh, you covered them is, is, is what it comes down to and i want to be mindful of your time uh no, next question what's the best way this is going back to the safety what's the best way to treat an advanced case of hypothermia uh in the parentheses it says the victim is disoriented and shivering a quickly place the victim beside a roaring fire b replace wet clothes with dry clothes then place the victim beside a roaring fire c administer hot soup d remove wet clothes except underwear, then place the victim in a sleeping bag between two people. This is very I would, specific. So, I would say D, um, really, exactly if they're going right. into hypothermia. Exactly the right. body heat is your quickest way yep. to increase a person's core temperature. Yep, you got it. Yep. Yeah, just reading all those different scenarios, it's kind of like, well, they all sort of, you know, but yeah, no, they're, uh, it's D, yeah. So, uh, yeah, warming the extremities too rapidly can send cold blood to the heart and brain, so. Uh, Obviously, exactly. no one's in that situation, but yeah, that's. Uh, but it's it's all plausible, and and a lot of that. You notice in each one of those questions, they say get rid of your cold or your yep. wet gear because yep. that wet gear is what is most likely suck the heat out of them and give them a hypothermia to begin with. Drag you down. All right, last yep. question, and then I have a bonus question for you that I all did right. make that I did make up, and that's okay. really the the essence of the Powderhounds uh, podcast. Okay, all right, <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. One more. All right, uh, and this is practical, I think. What should, and this applies to you know, skiers and riders, what should you do with your headlamp when you go to sleep? A, wear it on your head. B, set it near your sleeping bag. C, put it inside your sleeping bag. D, put it in a tent pocket. Uh, inside your sleeping bag. Uh, this Boom, is something, he's it, 100%. You got all the questions right. <laughs> and the reason for that is you're relying on batteries, and batteries yep. in cold do not mix well together. They don't play well nice. All right, all play right, well all nice. Right. That wasn't. That didn't make sense. They don't play it, well together. Yeah. How do you feel about that clean sweep with the Boy Scouts of America Ohio chapters uh, winter camping uh, trivia questions? There. They got to step their game up. Ask all right, you heard it here, folks. All right, let's move on. <laughs> well, you. They got to come camp out here in Colorado. Great let's... segue to the next yeah. final Jeff Purdy question. Catch that. Uh huh. Uh huh. He, uh, he's rolling his eyes, everybody. Uh, okay, <laughs> you're gonna like this one because uh, you're you're gonna get you're gonna get part of it right, if not at all right, based on okay. where we started the conversation. So, according to yourboulder.com, one of your nearby uh, well-known cities in the uh, great state of Colorado, Centennial State, according to yourboulder.com. What are three recommended locations for winter camping around Boulder? Now I'm gonna give you a series of hints because this usually is a little bit obscure and subjective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, if you, and if you have time to catch previous questions, uh, they're usually in the ridiculous column, but uh, there's a fun way I got there. So I'm gonna give you some hints uh, and then I'll certainly reveal why, they, why I chose those hints and then the actual location, but. Okay. Um, so uh, again, three recommended locations for winter camping around Boulder. The hints, first hint, Leslie Nope makes camp. Okay, so I'm just gonna give you the hints and then uh, you have three guesses. That's the first one, Leslie Nope makes camp. The second hint, it's pouring. 
it's pouring. Third hint, Hartford, Connecticut Airport, which I think uh, you'll get. And then number, the final one, Ice Cream Mountain to the north. So again, three recommended locations for winter camping around Boulder. Leslie Nope makes camp. It's pouring. Hartford, Connecticut Airport, Ice Cream Mountain to the north. You started so I'm gonna, to... Yeah. I'm going to take a stab at the Hartford clue. Is that Brainerd Lake? Because Bradley is the, the, the airport. You got it, brother. Okay. And yeah, you talked about right. uh, camping out there at Brainerd I'm Lake. At Brainerd uh, Lake. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a great is, spot. He is on fire, everybody, if you're yeah. just joining the program. <laughs> um, Every question the, right so far. The There's Leslie Nope, uh, yeah. that's Parks and Rec. Yeah. So yeah. I'm assuming, like, I mean, we have the Roosevelt National Forest. Uh, there's also Golden Gate Canyon State Park, which is one of the, the, the parks that are is right near Boulder. It uh, the uh, the answer is a uh, official designated campground. Oh, I'll give camp you that okay. uh, level of uh, of refinement of the hint. Okay, so it's an uh, actual campground. Yeah, I haven't stayed uh, at any oh my of gosh, the campgrounds around I'm, Boulder. Now that I'm looking at it, I think I actually uh, did. Uh, oh, you know what? So that was actually technically it's within uh, the Brainerd Lake. Um, oh, it's uh, the campgrounds of a Brainerd Lake. Yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah. I guess an actual campground called Pawnee. That's oh yeah, oh yeah, the, the Pawnee campground. Yeah, we're staying there uh, okay. in uh, in two months. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. See, there you yeah. go. In All the right, RV. So, yeah. So what I did there, I usually do three hints for the three specific, and I had, I did four hints for three things, and that was the double hint. So uh, gotcha. for some reason, gotcha. I thought Hartford, Connecticut Airport, uh, you wouldn't get for some reason. Of course, you got that one. So, okay. So we're good with the Brainerd. Brainerd Lake, yep. absolutely first answer, two hints off the board. So the remaining two hints are for two different, uh, you know, Boulder camp. Grands that yeah. apparently you haven't been to, but uh, <laughs> the, it's pouring. Um, you know, the, the tough thing is with, you know, Boulder County is you don't have, it gets right into the foothills and then yeah. quickly uh, just gets, you know, you have uh, Chautauqua Park where you can't really camp around there. That's where the flat irons are. Um, okay. Done a lot of hiking that. around that area. Um, but once you get out of Boulder County, that's where you get a little bit more remote where I, I personally prefer to go camping. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say I'm stumped. I don't know the you other. You know what? It's not fair to me. You got a question. You, you definitely got an answer and I'm glad it was one that you're familiar with. So you absolutely won this game. I'm going to absolutely <laughs> honor a, uh, you, you know, just a clean sweep of all of the trivia questions. You absolutely did great. The other two were Moraine Park Campground. and That's uh, in Rocky Mountain National Park, though. That's not in Boulder. Moraine, uh, and we've oh, stated you know, that uh, three times already. So apparently, no, I guess that's man, yourboulder.com. Where? Yeah, I mean that's close. I mean, I'm 45 minutes. Recommended from, it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Moraine yeah. is good, and then we're staying at the um, the Glacier Campground, which is actually on the backside of Rocky Mountain National Park uh, in September. Ah, see, there yep. you go. It's good to have uh, log 004. That's right. Uh, all right, and the last one, forgive me for my geography mistake there, but I'm going to blame yourboulder.com. Yeah, uh, the blame it away. <laughs> it could still be Boulder County. I, 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 like I said, I've been here a couple of years. I don't yeah, even, yeah, 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 yeah. I know two miles from my house well. Dude, I don't even know that, and I'm not even <laughs> out there. Um, and the last one was Ice Cream Mountain to the north. That would be Klondike Mountain, Lost Lake Campground. 
Oh, haven't been there. Okay, well. I'm going to jot it down, though, because, yeah. you know. The description Klondike. says this is a nice mix for people who are comfortable hiking to a campsite but still want designated campgrounds instead of just picking a place off the trail. Okay, maybe you don't, but it could be a good place to Family. make a fam. Exactly. Yeah, the campsites and lake are about 1.5 miles from the trailhead. So, yeah, that would be your lost lake. Uh, yeah, Klondike near uh, near Klondike Mountain. So, well, uh, you know what, uh, Adam, thanks for being a good sport, for playing the game. Again, record-setting performance, not one question wrong. And, uh, you know, like I said, my sources for the questions weren't the best, perhaps, this episode, and that is certainly not your fault. But uh, I want to give you one last opportunity. Is there anything we didn't get to? The segment is called The Last Chair, but in your case, it's The Last Green Chair. Green Chair. That's so right. uh, any final thoughts, anything we didn't get to or you wanted to mention that you know, I didn't ask or, uh, yeah, we just we glossed over? No, but I do want to point out that the reason for The Green Chair uh, is that Jeff Shaw and I met freshman year in college, and we had this fold-out double chair that just so happened to be green, in which we would spend some time hanging out and really uh, diving deep into philosophical questions and or uh, architectural design uh, under different influences, if you will, um, coming up with some great ideas. So that's that's the meaning of the green chair um, that uh, we we still reference today. So- Art um, history 101, philosophy 101. Just, just about a lot every of things to consider. Every poli sci class we we took together too. That's you know. Now while you bring that up, I also wonder: was it uh, back in the 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 tower days? Was it you joined me in horse horse barn hill, sledding down? I want. We definitely built like a sled. We definitely built like a pat, like a like a yeah, like a. We definitely sledded, sledded. We we, yeah. we went sledding down horse barn hill, but the thing that about it was there was a big you know hoopla about not like stealing cafeteria trays to do it but uh i remember (laughs) we always intended to give them back and you know for the record i think we did but uh it was like a whole scheme to get them out of the cafeteria use them and then return them were you part of that uh mission (laughs) i was i was um and you know not only did we go down horse barn hill but we also did that long ramp going down to where the chemistry building was because that was the long hill that you could hold on to the railing (laughs) and go down to your knees at the same time. Um, I can't promise that all those boards made it back after that event because I know we broke a bunch of them. Mm. Um, But yes, indeed, uh, uh, you know, the sledding adventures near Horse Barn Hill and Towers was was prevalent. Or um, the the water drainage that was just up the hill from us where we had the uh, raccoons uh, visit us while we were out there sitting down, hanging out. Walk right past. And no, it was actually this family of skunks. Sorry, it wasn't uh, the raccoons. It was yeah, the skunks. Uh, yep. Yep. But uh, luckily we didn't get sprayed. The one thing we were missing from all that, everybody, a snow fort. That was exactly. what was missing. Yep. 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 If we but, only knew. Uh, well, hey, this is a learning program. So hopefully uh, folks picked up some things. I certainly did. I'm going to have a lot of fun going back and listening to uh, everything that Adam shared. Adam, Thank you so much for uh, hopping on the pod today, sharing a little about winter camping, certainly uh, giving me a little bit more encouragement to tie it back into my future uh, skiing experiences and uh, whether it's backcountry, uh, staying in a hut or uh, in, a, in some sort of camper uh, situation. But uh, hopefully we'll uh, get a chance to perhaps uh, do some hut-to-hut adventures Absolutely. in the future back out and- west once we can. 
And anytime I plan that, I will fully keep you in the loop because it, it'd be a blast. Jeff, it was a pleasure catching up with you, and thanks for uh, having me on this. All right, all right, all right. We will leave it there. Thank you, Adam, for joining me today. Thanks, dude. Looks like it's 4 o'clock. Time to catch the last chair. Thank you to my guest, Adam. Thank you for listening. Have a question, comment, or correction? Contact me on Twitter, at Skis. You can also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Manager, Verbal, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just type Powderhounds Podcast. Until next time, see you on the slopes, Powderhounds.